This is Sharonda Reeves, and you are listening to These Three Things Podcast. My guest today is Jennifer Grimson. Super excited to talk to her today. Jennifer Grimson is a public speaker. She is an entrepreneur, an investor, and also the founder of Micro Empires Podcast. Welcome to These Three Things, Jennifer. Thanks. <laughs> Thanks for having me, Sharonda. Thank uh, you, everybody out there in the audience. It's so great to be here. <laughs> so many people. Mm-hmm. So many. So, Jennifer, I always start every podcast with, I like for the listeners to know how I know the people that I know. So, let's talk a little bit about how we met. Okay. You want me to start it? And then, yeah. Okay. So, I recently, uh, new to the podcasting world, joined Nashville Podcast and started following them on Facebook and was just looking through one Friday because it was free form Friday and all of these different podcasts from everybody that's a member in that group started dropping podcasts, uh, their latest podcast episodes. And Jennifer's came up and the title was diversifying your circle of influence. And I looked and I saw, Oh, that's a white lady. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly. Yeah. And I said, I want to listen to this. So I had a long drive in the car and I was like, this will be good to listen to while I'm driving. By the time I get to the end of the podcast, I'm in tears. Like I am like wiping my face and, and, you know, I was like, I have to talk to her. I have to get to know who this lady is. I have to have her on my podcast. I think that she would be a perfect person to talk about some of the things that I'd like to talk about. And so I reached out to Jennifer Mm -hmm. and then I'm going to give it to you from here, Jennifer. Yeah. So I I think it was Facebook. You sent me a message on Facebook and a very, I mean, listen, if you send me a really flattering message, it's a high probability I'm going to, I'm going to call you back, but uh, just really sweet that you'd listen to the, um, to the episode, you know, which is not what I normally talk about. I just Mm -hmm. talk, we talk a lot about money and financial independence, um, that you liked it, that you wanted to speak with me. And, uh, so I gave you my phone number and then we talked on the phone and it was kind of instant. I mean, you know, if I run into another woman who has had a career, raised children, been on her own, maybe not been on her own, doesn't matter, but any strong woman, I find it very hard not to have a commonality. Oh, thank you for that. Yeah. I mean, the conversation just went, Mm -hmm. it was very fluid. Like we'd almost known each other before, um, which I, I could tell from just listening to you in the podcast, like you were very genuine, you were very authentic. I encourage all of you to go to Micro Empires podcast. As Jennifer just said, it's a podcast about money mm-hmm. and women talking about money, but also women, we should be concerned about our money and not only listen to diversify your circle of influence, but all of her podcasts. Very interesting, very informative. What did you think when I reached out to you initially? Um, I was thrilled. Um, in that episode, I tell, and, and I, I know maybe we're jumping out of order. I don't know, but um, no, go ahead, go ahead. After George Floyd, my thoughts were, what can I really add to this conversation? Mm-hmm. And I thought there there isn't <laughs> there isn't much I can do yeah. to add to this conversation. And I started thinking, but I can tell my own story, not not my, but my life has been so enriched mm-hmm. and I have gained a ton mm-hmm. by having people of all walks mm-hmm. and all colors and mm-hmm. all backgrounds in my life. 
And anybody who doesn't recognize that is really losing out. So I thought, well, I can talk about that. Um, and I had reached out to people who were very, who I was closest to, many mm-hmm. of whom I name in the show, uh, in that episode. So I recorded it just kind of from the heart, not a real path to follow other right. than to give these very specific um, stories that had happened in my life. And those individuals that I talked about uh, reached out afterwards and said, you know, that was great. Thanks. I mean, they didn't know. It's not, I didn't call anybody in yeah. advance and say, hey, I want to tell a story about something that happened with you in my life. So they were surprised and, and happy. But I hadn't heard from anybody else mm-hmm. saying, I don't even know you. And I listened to this and it, it had this effect. And after you called, I listened to it again myself. And yeah. I was like, she cried. Huh. Yeah. That doesn't, I don't know. I did, but <laughs> I'm, I'm thrilled and I'm honored because yeah. I also had a strong reaction from a woman that I do marketing with mm-hmm. and I really value her. I value her feedback. Mm-hmm. She is a white woman. I've known her for a couple of years. She helps me a lot. Um, she's an incredibly sensitive soul. Mm-hmm. Um, and she, was called out on social media a few years ago for something. She, she does not have a mean or racist bone in her body. Mm-hmm. Something was misconstrued and she was just dragged. Um, and she's a very delicate person, yeah. I would say. Uh, and so she was scared for me. Mm-hmm. She was like, don't do this. You could really offend people. Don't make it about yourself. And, and in truth, the episode is about myself yeah. and, and, and your experiences and my experiences. Yeah. So she was very disappointed in me and worried. Um, and I'm, I'm thrilled now. I've heard from you and a few other people. Um, and I hope to hear from more. But I'm thrilled that it had, it was taken in, in, the, in the vein that I recorded it. Have you shared with your friend now that the response that you've gotten from other people? I have. Um, and I, you know, I, I'm sure she's happy for me. Mm-hmm. Um, she is in a position where she feels like she she doesn't want to do anything that could be taken as, you know, uh, her white privilege or not understanding or just being tone deaf. Mm-hmm. And uh, I understand that. Yeah. So that was just her opinion on it. Yeah. I, I found it to be, which, we, which we're definitely going to talk about, is actually the next question coming up. I found it to be very vulnerable, very authentic, very real, and unafraid. And I think that for us to move forward in this country is going to require a lot of that because trust needs to be restored and rebuilt between yes. the races. And it's, and, it's, and it's broken devastatingly right now, in my opinion. And I think that's part of, in light of everything that happened to George Floyd and Ahmaud Arbery, uh, I live 45 minutes from Brunswick, Georgia, so that's like, a, a rock's throw from my backyard, uh, which devastated me. I'm still, I, I will probably forever be devastated by Ahmaud Arbery, but uh, I think your podcast made me cry because I don't think that our white friends realize how much when you guys speak up, it means to us. Mm-hmm. Like it matters mm-hmm. in a deeper way because it's like, okay, you do see me. You do see our our hurts and the things that are relevant that are happening in our community. Mm-hmm. And you're not afraid to say something about it. Mm-hmm. And the fact that I didn't, I didn't know you, but just the fearlessness of you were just very matter of fact, like I'm going to speak about it. I'm going to say it because this is my experience. And I, I just, it resonated with me and it, it just made my heart glad, you I'm know? Glad. Yeah. I'm glad for that. And you know, since then, um, I don't know that it's a concerted effort, but I have, so that my show, I have about 50 episodes, 30 of which are very, very short and just me, but mm-hmm. the interviews that I've done, I've probably done maybe 10 interviews, but four of which are women of color. Um, and I didn't seek them out cause they were women of color. Mm-hmm. I sought them cause they're amazing. Uh, and, and the friendships in my life have been that way as well. However, part of my pledge is, uh, you know, I have to do everything I can to double down. And in fact, uh, I'll speak to that a little bit more later, just kind of about what I think my responsibility very specifically is. But 
um, I knew that this would make me wildly unpopular with a lot of people. Mm-hmm. I'm an investor here in Nashville mm-hmm. and Nashville is, I'm not from the South. It's the South. If you haven't seen it on a map right? and, uh, the racial divide is very clear. I grew up just outside of Boston. So uh, different, but mm-hmm. there's racism everywhere. Absolutely. And, uh, many of the people who I invest with or work with or whatever are, I think there's this feeling overall and I'm I can't stereotype and do a broad stroke of and I and I'm also not saying I'm not guilty of this as well kind of like well someone else will work that out right yeah there's racism I'm not a racist and therefore someone else will work that out yeah and just it's not really even that big of a shift it's just like no I'm part of the problem and I'm going to be part of the solution and I'm going to do that in any way that I can which for some people is protesting or for me it always comes down to money yeah and let's face it I mean that's where am I going to invest my money? Where am I going to encourage other people to invest my money? Who will I promote? Right. Um, and that's not just about promoting people of color. Mm-hmm. That's about demanding, if I'm going to do business with you, yeah. whoever, bank, mortgage company, whatever, yes. and I am a person of influence, let's imagine that, that I am at some point, you know, what are you doing to diversify your right. base? Because uh, it's a problem for all women, um, but especially women of color. Yeah. Um, I saw your, your statistics on the show. You were just breaking that down. And I don't think that I ever realized it was that grim. It's very grim. It's very grim. And I called part of what motivated me, you know, and you and I've talked about how I'm making Mm -hmm. some business changes, et cetera. Mm -hmm. I called my first, uh, potential sponsor, a bank and had a conversation. And when I rolled those numbers off, which I'll just go through it now, I think it's please do 4% of all commercial loans Mm -hmm. are ever given to women. 4%. If that doesn't make you livid, I I would check your pulse. Mm -hmm. Now you can guarantee that only 25% of that 4% are women of color for sure. So when I called the bank here in Nashville, I named Um, three very prominent entrepreneurs who I'd had on my show. And I said, all three of these women could not get a loan when they started. So all three of these women either put everything on the line, Mm -hmm. borrowed it, put it on a credit card, built their businesses from nothing. One woman in particular lived with her family without electricity in her home while she got started, Mignon. Mm -hmm. And um, now they've made it. Well, I'm going to say made it because everybody's got a different level, but right. I mean, I, the numbers are not uh, secret. Uh, you know, we're talking $40 million companies <laughs> and they never went back. I'll quote one now, Sherry Deutschman, because um, I belong to a group called Brain Trust, which mm-hmm. is about women mm-hmm. uh, getting their businesses to their first $1 million. And Sherry Deutschman um, never went back and got a loan because she was very proud of mm-hmm. what she had done and very I'm going to say fearful, that may not be her word, of like, well, I don't want anybody else having control. Right. But the truth of the matter is, once you start building a business, and it is that powerful, it's mm-hmm. 40 million, it's 1 million, it's 500,000, whatever, mm-hmm. you have leverage and you should go borrow money. Yeah. You should be at the bank. And I said to this bank vice president, don't you wish that you could have lent Invest- those yeah. successful women money? Maybe, maybe if you didn't do it at the beginning don't you wish they'd come back to you at year five? And she was like, yeah, we would have loved that business. So having those conversations. Yes, um, opening eyes, mm -hmm. opening eyes. Yeah. So do you mind sharing those stories uh, that you told about Willie and Mm -hmm. Tommy and Mm -hmm. the gas station story? The gas station story is the one that really touched me. That like I loved all of them, but the gas station, I thought like that's what a man should do. Yeah, that was pretty, pretty amazing. Um, and I've been very, very fortunate in my life. I've just come across so many amazing people like you. Um, I'll start probably with Tommy only because it tells the backstory. So, uh, I, my story is I lost everything twice. Mm -hmm. So down to no job, no money, no car, no place to live, uh, no money in the bank and two children. That happened to me twice because it wasn't as much fun the first time. So I thought I'd do it a second time. Been there. <laughs> Been there. <Right>? <laughs> and and part of why I started the podcast was I it did all that, um, but it was a secret. I mm-hmm. kept it a secret. So the second time that I was going to rebuild from nothing, I decided 
if I ever get going again, I'm going to build little pockets yeah. of, I'm using finger quotes, wealth, because wealth is different to everybody. Right. But I was just, I just thought no one's can ever take this away from me. Mm -hmm. I can't survive a third time. I felt a lot of guilt. I'd done it to my, I felt like I'd done it to my children. Yeah. So the way I did it was through real estate and through investing in short-term rental. And the way I did it was to purchase homes that mm -hmm. I moved into. So you have to keep moving right. to, to be able to put down 3%. So I would buy houses that were in not such great neighborhoods. Mm -hmm. The second house that I bought was in a neighborhood very close to where we are right now, mm -hmm. about a mile and a half away. And, uh, you know, it, the, the neighborhood itself, I didn't think it was that bad. It was a transitioning neighborhood, mm -hmm. but directly across the street from me was a duplex. And this man across the street had in his window, huge window, a swastika flag yeah. in the front and the back. And that's what he used as his curtain. Wow. And I was horrified. That house across the street from the, him, although beautiful and a new build, sat empty. Nobody wanted to buy it. Mm -hmm. So I bought it because I thought this is a great opportunity. Right. So I bought it and I ended up posting on um, our East Nashville Facebook page just a question like, hey, I know freedom of speech is allowed, but this is radical. I mean, that symbol is of, you know, murder and hatred. Um, is there anything to be done? It is on his property. Just kind of posted it and mm -hmm. was very surprised at the responses I got. I got a lot of responses about how I didn't have the right to infringe and mm -hmm. I didn't have the right... So, um, that ended up, ended up going down a path of a little bit of doxing, um, to me, which was very intimidating at the time. But this gentleman by the name of Tommy, who lives blocks from here right mm -hmm. now, reached out to me and said, Hey, I saw your story. Don't let any of these people get on your nerves. I also, I have a biracial child. He mm -hmm. sent me a private message. I don't want him walking in your neighborhood. Do you mind telling me where you live? Yeah. I'm not trying to get weird or whatever. So I did, we struck up a conversation um, he had this incredible family and we ended up meeting he mm -hmm. and his, his son is a hockey fan. So mm -hmm. they were excited to meet my husband and, um, and we're friends to this day. Yeah. So that's how I met Tommy. So while I was living in that house, um, I only lived there for about six months before I rented, ended up renting it out. But mm -hmm. I was coming home late one night from downtown Nashville. It's very close to downtown. It's less than a mile from the yes. center of town. It was very late at night and I pulled into a gas station. I was out of oil. Um, and the neighborhood is, you know, I think it's predominantly black. I'm mm -hmm. not really sure maybe at the time, but when I pulled in, there was a gentleman there in his pickup truck and there were lots of people at that gas station. Mm -hmm. And he pulled up next to me and he said, you can't be here. And I knew what he meant. Did that alarm you or did it not initially just? Nothing about him alarmed me. Okay. He's an African-American man. And I knew he wasn't saying like, get out of here. No, right. You, it was more of a concern. Yes. Like, yeah. Young lady. At night. This here. isn't where you should be. Right. And you know, as I think back on telling that story, yes, I, I'm white, but it also may have just been because I was a woman. Mm -hmm. um, and I said, yeah, I know, but mm. I have to get oil. And he, I'd already had my uh, hood popped. So he was like, are you, you're getting oil. So I went inside and bought the oil and I came out and he was just waiting. He took his pickup truck and he drove over to where I'd parked at the gas mm -hmm. pump, pointed his truck at me, turned the headlights on, number one, so I could see probably. Right. But also the message of I'm with her. Yeah. To everybody there. And yeah. I hadn't looked around. I don't know that there was anybody threatening necessarily yeah. around me. But I didn't ask him for that. He didn't have to do that. Um, he did so, and it's very chivalrous. It is yeah. a very masculine and wonderful. One of the wonderful things about good men. Yeah. Um, and got in his car, and we waved goodbye, and then that was the end of that. Yeah. And as I look at that, I think now, if there was a black girl who pulled up in an all-white, wealthy area. In the middle of the night, and she was getting weird looks, etc. I hope that somebody mm. would stand up for her, you know, or again, any female. But, um, you know, it just was tremendously touching. Yeah, yeah. It really was. That it was. was I love that. So we're going to take a break, and we'll be right back with these three things and Jennifer Grimson. If you want to find more information about this episode and my guest, 
Go to www.these3-things.com. Go to our podcast page and click on this episode. So, Jennifer, I know you've heard the terms Becky, Karen, and Hannah. <laughs> as, a, as a white woman, how did, what, when you hear that, what does that make you think, feel, like, express? It's interesting. I So the Becky reference for me, I, like I said, I always think of uh, Becky with the good hair. Right. So I didn't. Shout out to Beyonce. Yep. And so <laughs> I knew a little bit about that. Um, Karen, obviously, I'm very familiar with. Hannah, I've never heard before. I yeah. Didn't. I get that a lot when we talk about Hannah. Most people are like, who is Hannah? Well, you would be considered a Hannah. Uh, and I would. And Hannah for black women is the white girl that is totally comfortable being around black people. She has black friends and they're not just, you know, black and I'm doing air quotations friends, but like you actually come to the cookout and Mm -hmm. you actually come to the house for drinks or for a meal and you kind of fellowship in our community as we do with you. So you're a Hannah. All right. You're a Hannah. Yay. I'll take that all day. (laughs) My stepdaughter's name is Hannah. So I was like, boy, I hope it's something good. Yeah. All right. Um, Yeah, so that was news to me. Uh, But I did want to say I, so we're all familiar with Karen. We are. And Lisa, who's uh, probably my closest African-American female friend. uh, She's one of the first person that I called after George Floyd. Like I would call, and I had a conversation today with a friend of mine who's Jewish. And I said, you know, I would reach out if something horrible was happening to Jews in this country, I would be calling my Jewish, Jewish friends. friends. Yes. As so you should, in yes. the first week, all I did was call and mm-hmm. just say, I'm here. Like it's a, it's a lot, it's a terrible, it's just such grief, um, and anger and sadness. And if that's what I'm feeling, you know, I can't even yeah. fathom. And then fear. And I have, um, friends who have white friends and black friends who have black children. Right. So the level of fear mm-hmm. that everybody's living every day, every day, mm-hmm. terrified. You see it so much. It starts to make you a little, uh, I don't want to say angry because it doesn't make you angry, but it does make you kind of look at white women like in a different way. And we have to challenge our thoughts with that and say, okay, everyone's not a Karen. Like everyone's not out here making, you know, crazy phone calls to the police because you're selling bottled water you know, on the corner or whatever reasons. But I think, you know, we as black women do have to be careful of not letting that uh, make us feel that way towards all white women in the same respect that we want for all white people not to judge us based on certain things that black people do. Right. Yeah. And it goes both ways in that area. Right. Yeah. You know, when I'm out for, so you're here at my house, so you know the neighborhood that I'm in. My neighbors uh, right here are, uh, well, there's all, there's every color of people living next door to me. I'm next to a duplex, but, um, several African-American folks and they sit on their front porch. It's the city. Their front porch is six feet from my front porch. Um, so when I walk out in the morning or I see uh, they're out there, um, they, they may be in conversation with one another. They may be having a cigarette, whatever. So just out of, I, I may not look up and say hello. And, there is an assumption and I don't think that it's wrong. Mm-hmm. So I, it's, I think it is upon me to go, good morning. How are you? Yeah. Are you having a good day? Yeah. Ask about them. Um, one gentleman has a cat that gets out and he has a tracker. I think it's hilarious. <laughs> um, you know, but I can imagine he's, he's not going to reach not out sure. and make yeah. eye contact with me. Yeah. Um, and I do, um, I am going to get a black lives matter sign for our front yard. My husband and I had this conversation the other day and I said, it is, it's, it is the time for us to make it in. I've always said, I will not tolerate Mm -hmm. intolerance, but it is the time for us to outwardly be saying that. Like if you harbor those things and you've been a friend of mine, it is okay for you to move on, move on.com and do not, do not stop here. There's no, there's no room here. Yeah. Um, Within my own family, there's, it's, uh, you know, there's a little too much attention. I'm, I'm being a little too radical. I'm not doing anything. Yeah, let me ask you, let me ask you about just the, the Karen effect. Mm-hmm. Do you, as, as a white woman, do you 
feel that Karens are racist when you see their actions or when you watch on social media? Or is it possible? And I want to ask this question in fairness. Is it possible that this individual could have just had a bad day and someone caught her off at a time where her, you know, anger got the best of her and we're all capable of, and I'm not making excuses. I want to make that clear. I'm not making excuses, but is it possible that a person could do that and not be racist racist? Or would you say, yeah, they're probably racist if they're doing that. And that's just given the benefit of the doubt. Yeah. You're a nice person. Um, well, I want to ask from, because I'm capable of having a bad day oh, yeah. and I, you know, I like white people. Like mm-hmm. I'm, I'm not against white people, but there are days that if, you know, a white person cuts me off in traffic and I'm not having a bad day, mm-hmm. I might, you know, there might be some words, flip a finger. Or That's I, right. You know, That's right. and that person may think something about me mm-hmm. that is in that moment. I'm just having a, a moment. Right now, I know Karen in New York and the whole Central Park situation, Amy Cooper Mm -hmm. and, you know, calling the police. And we're familiar with what happened there. Just in asking, I already know the answer, but I want you just to like give give word to that. Is she a racist? Oh, yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Unequivocally. Unequivocally. I. So I grew up it's interesting you talk about anger. I grew up in a house where the primary emotion was anger Mm. and we're kind of raised in this belief. I, I was, and I had a lot of anger and rage in my life where that was the primary emotion. Um, and therefore, uh, there are lots and I'll tell you what anger is, um, is on the menu. I think Mm. everybody should have access to their anger. I think it's very powerful, especially Mm. for women. I think you should keep it in your toolbox and you should know how to use it. Yeah. And I've I've become a black belt, but I used to be <laughs> a sledgehammer. Yeah. And um, that had to change for many reasons, and it's enhanced my life to do that. There has never been a day in my life. Now, I'm not saying there hasn't been a day where someone's cut me off and I've been yelling at them right. in a parking lot or just, I mean, crazy, stupid stuff that I did, especially when I was younger. But I have never, in that moment of rage, dropped a racial slur because that tells you everything right there. It's one thing if I call you a B word, which I would, I disagree with as well that women shouldn't do that either. Um, or any number of expletives, but it's not going to be racially motivated. And, um, and just the erroneousness of it, Karen in New York city, Amy Cooper, I think especially, and that gentleman is just a perfect example of, and I don't know his name, and I'm sorry. His last name was Cooper too, but I don't remember his first name. Yeah. Um, but number one, he's very calm and cool. Mm -hmm. Then when it's all going on and, and she's getting all the flack, he's calling for people to ease up on her. Yeah. He was very kind. Yeah. He starts a movement. He's so, he's a bird watcher for goodness sakes. What's more gentle than that? Yeah. Than a bird watcher. Um, so I find that, um, yeah, I think it's impossible. Yeah. So what was behind her anger? Was that privilege? Was that don't question me? Don't, don't, what was that? And I know you're it's, not the spokesperson for all white no, people. Please don't write me yeah. a letter. Anybody, <laughs> um, you know, from my perspective, looking at that, that was literally, I'm out walking my dog off my leash. You are not going to tell me what to do. Yeah. Oh, you happen to be black. Yeah, I can wrap this up real quick. Now, I will say, let's imagine he was white. She might have said, I'm just going to call into the police that you're threatening me because that I'll I'll get you in trouble one way Mm -hmm. or another. But that level of and there's so there's all these that come up every day. There was one just the other day of a man in Florida. I don't know that it was a black person. I think it was just an elderly person. But the racial divide, the political Mm -hmm. divide in our country right now. Um, But it is true if I make a phone call and I say that there's an African-American man and he's threatening me and he's over, you know, sitting on his front porch knitting, the police come, Yeah, you know, his, his probability is probably not as good as mine. And that is, that is absolutely, um, it's not privilege. It's just, it's just completely the racial divide. Yeah, It's totally not fair. So it's, it's incumbent on the moral character of each of us. Yeah. And what moral character do you have to do that to another human being? Right. You know? Um, 
it's so, the awareness. It's it's the awareness of knowing that I have I can I can do this. Mm-hmm. And when the police come, it's going to be more trouble for you than it is for me. And the reason why I ask, because I know a lot of black women are going to be like, well, why does she have to ask the question? Was that racist? Of course, Amy Cooper was racist. But I, I, I asked the question because there are moments where things happen that if you didn't know me, you would think that I could be racist too, hmm. or, or not like white people. Mm-hmm. And I think that let's just say, like you just said, like you and I are getting to know each other and I hear your background and you talk about the relationships that you have with people, but let's just say we're both trying to pull into Best Buy and you'd been waiting on that parking spot and I pulled up and you know, ran right in it before you could. And you got out and was like, well, you know, and we had words. I'm instantly, I may instantly feel like that. You don't even like black people, yep. but in that moment, it had nothing to do with our color. Right. You know, and it clearly it has something to do with his color in central park. Right. But I, you know, just wanted to ask the question because sometimes when we catch people on a bad day, I'm like, okay, what would her friends say about her? But in that case, hers is a bit extreme and it's clear that it's racial. So I get the, the point of it all, but you know, I feel like sometimes we can just have a bad day and we put we put labels on people that don't fit because of the climate of the world right now. Does that make sense? Yes. I think it's interesting what you're saying, though, because one thing I've learned. So despite the fact that I've had relationships with people across all walks of life, mm-hmm. always I've learned so much just in the last couple of months and kind of embarrassingly so. But what I really learned, and I think this is um I think it's culturally in the culture, at least the culture that I've experienced of African American. There's this culture of, you know what, most people are good. Give them the benefit of the doubt. Give them the uh, white people don't do that, or or not all white people don't do that. But the people that we see on yeah. on Twitter and everything being caught uh, being awful. But here's here's where I think the difference is. If you and I are both pulling into Best Buy, mm-hmm. and you take my parking spot, because of the color of your skin, mm-hmm. I probably would not get out and yell at you. Why? Because I, it's already, our relationships are already Strained. bad. Yep. And I, I, it's not like I don't want to be seen as racist because that's not what I care about, but yeah. I just don't want to add to it. Yeah. It's yeah. already so Over a parking bad. space. If you were a white guy, I'd probably get out. <laughs> I'd probably get out. Well, that's, that's thought. That's putting thought into it. Yep. And I feel like those interactions are happening across the world where people really don't have issue, but because things are so bad, everything's so elevated that it does create issue. Mm -hmm. So let me ask you this, like, what do you think is the, is the status of relationship between black and white women? Oh gosh. Um, I don't know. I think it's, uh, I also, so you grew up here, you grew up in Tennessee. I did. And, uh, I grew up in the Northeast. Mm -hmm. Um, one thing that I try to explain to people, so my, my short answer is, I think it's culturally different depending on where you go. Mm -hmm. One thing I try when my friends, especially when I was moving to Nashville, if you live in the Northeast, they're like, why would you go to the South? Like, that's crazy. Nobody goes to the South. That's just, why would you do that? Um, but I try to remember, I try to remind people, if we were living in Europe and we were living in London mm-hmm. and then we decided to move to the south of Spain, we'll put that on a map. You, right. ex- you have a different language, you, you have a different culture, you have mm-hmm. a different law system. We're here in the United States of America. When you move around, um, the culture changes, mm-hmm. everything changes. Um, so race relations down here are very different. Oh gosh, the status of um, white women and, and black women well, you have relationships with, with people of color mm-hmm. in your friend's circle. Are they as diverse as you uh, in their relationships with people? I probably, I probably don't know. Some are. And again, I think when we started this conversation, I'm drawn to people who have struggled. Mm-hmm. And I think if you struggled and you've been judged mm-hmm. and you've been passed over, um, you seek other people who have struggled. Yeah. So um, I don't, so I, I'm going to give you an example about the work environment, one work environment that I had mm-hmm. um, where lots, not lots, but people of color, mm-hmm. all many of whom I considered my friends, uh, they would get together and go to lunch, mm-hmm. like a group of five girls. Mm-hmm. I was never invited. Okay. Um, now 
they may not have invited me because they didn't think I would feel comfortable. Okay. But until I went up and I was like, why, what about me? Yeah. What about me? Which uh, by the way, just totally added into my left out thing. And I never got asked to the prom and all yeah. that other stuff. <laughs> but when I reversed that, I think, well, when there was a baby shower, I was invited, you know, the important things I was included in. Right. Then I look at the women, the white women in the same company mm-hmm. who were friends, again, finger quotes, mm-hmm. we traveled together, we worked together. But when it came to their baby showers mm-hmm. and their weddings, I didn't see the invitations going out. Yeah. So I do, I, I do, I think it's much more incumbent. And I think it's, I think what each of us can do is just, I talk about the Christmas party yes. a lot, um, which you're invited to this year if we can <laughs> have a party, God willing. I love the party. Oh, I love a party too. Um, I think, it was, I never say to anybody, mm-hmm. um, Hey, I'm having a party and I'm going to invite seven black people. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's just, I'm having a party and whoever walks through the door is somebody that I love and I'm included. And that night was so special to me because it really was, I got to look around this house and see all of these people that I care about. And for many people, mm-hmm. my white friends, especially they were like, wow, look, look, and, and it keeps getting yeah. more and more diverse as the night goes on. Yeah. And the reality of um, many folks have never even sat down and had a meal, sat down and had a conver- like a real conversation with someone yeah. from a different race. Yeah. And that was, you know, that kind of leads into the next conversation that I wanted to have, just kind of like talking about the other side. I feel just in my work environments through the years, and, you know, I come from sports and women's basketball, um, you know, and just talking to my friends that are in other, you know, fields. I have a, a girlfriend that's like a, a, a high up at Pfizer. Mm-hmm. I have another girlfriend that's like uh, a C- COO, I think, in human resources for the company that she works for. And like we just talk about just uh, relationships with white women and just in conversations over the years, like with parents that I've recruited and people that I've talked to. And sometimes we'll just get off on just race relations. Cause when you're recruiting student athletes, like you talk about everything, at least I do, because most of the time, like if I'm you know, for the schools that I've worked for, if I'm talking to you, we already know you can play basketball. It's not like we're having to have a conversation about those things. So I like to get to know people on a deeper, deeper level. And what I, what I find is that it's not that we don't like black women. We don't like white women. It's just, I think that we have a hard time trusting white women just from our experience. And, you know, um, the three things that I felt like always came up was one was that, um, we don't feel that white women see us. And I want to read you something that Aristotle quoted. And when I read it, I was, I thought this is like so powerful, but it's true. And it says, Aristotle defined friendship as reciprocated goodwill. What distinguishes friendships, he wrote, is the source of this goodwill. And in order to build, one must first see that person, not a stereotype or a fantasy, neither a charity case nor an abstract threat, just a human being. Wow. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. And I feel like that the dynamics of that at times, like, Sometimes, you know, we're automatically assumed that we came from a poor upbringing. So, you know, we've had to work our way up like we we didn't come from much or to be surprised that we did come from something or a stereotype. Like if you voice your opinion in the work workplace or you you didn't like something that was said, so you spoke up. Now you're the angry black girl. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, you're the angry, angry black girl at work. You're the so it's like there's a label to everything. So we're really not seen and kind of like in examples of Michelle Obama, like how she was just ripped apart in ways that we've never seen a first lady ever be ripped apart. Yep, Horrifying. Yeah. You know, and even in some cases where um, we look at the deaths of our black men or our black sons and how black women are not even really able to mourn because it's not like our pain is really seen. Yeah. And so that was one of the things that, that stuck out. And then another thing that, that stuck out, and I, I really have to speak to this on the, just the basketball piece. It says that uh, one of the things that I wrote down was that white women choose race or sexuality over gender. So for example, just in some of the conversations that I've had with other black women, let's just say uh, my boss is a white woman. There's a promotion, you know, I'm up for it. A white guy in the office is up for it and another white lady in the office is up for it. Mm-hmm. 
most of the women said that white women rarely will choose the black woman. I have not seen a lot of promotion for their black female assistants. And just in the women's game in general, like the only white female coach that I can say, and I really thought long and hard about this, was Muffet McGraw, who just retired at Notre Dame. Muffet has consistently supported and promoted and helped her black female assistants get major head coaching jobs. Mm -hmm. And when things didn't work out for them, she brought them right back to Notre Dame. There was no hard feelings. There was no, okay, well, you left me. So, you know, hey, too bad it didn't work out for you. No, for her, it's always been like, home is home. Come back home. It didn't work out. Or first opportunity, it didn't work out. Come back home. I'd love to have you back. So much so that when she retired, her former player, Neil Ivey, who is now the head coach at Notre Dame, uh, she helped Neil go to the NBA and coach in the NBA in Memphis here in Tennessee wow. last year. When she decided to retire, she made sure that Neil got the job. She is the only one that I have seen, you know, and there's been a few here or there. I know Pat Summit helped uh, Nikki Fargus get the UCLA job and mm -hmm. women in basketball world who are listening to this will know, but I can't really look into women's basketball and see a lot of where white women head coaches who have been successful, who have had great assistant coaches, and I can name them. Uh, help them get major jobs and right. they may have made the phone calls and I don't know and that's very possible but for some of the clout that some of these women have had they could name jobs for other people and you just don't see it often and I think it's one of the reasons why I just you know at this last job just decided okay it's time for me to do something different mm -hmm. you know and and more of it was just about taking control of my own life and not waiting for someone else to help me get something like I need to be the help that I that I want so you know making that decision and then the third thing because I know I'm running on here tell me she says I'm willing to attend church and family gatherings with them like I'm willing to be in their circle and you know go to dinners with them and I don't always find that that they reciprocate. Like if I invite them to my home or if I invite them to my church or my family gathering or a shower, mm -hmm. they're not quick to return the favor or come. It's like, okay, you can be in my world, but I don't necessarily, I'm not necessarily comfortable in your world. And, yeah. um, and also too, uh, not understanding our culture, not educating yourself about our culture. So when we're around, we're, we're having to explain the whole black experience. Like, you know, we do our hair like this, mm -hmm. we, you know, and just explaining that I think, you know, causes a bit of a frustration. And um, but at the end of the day, it's not because we don't like you and we don't want to be in relationship. We just want to see the effort come back our way, you know? Yeah. I think all of those points are very valid. And I think, you know, when I friendships are very important to me, I actually learned from my mom who I saw this morning. Uh, she's always said friendships are really important. And my mother, like my mother's closest friend right now is a woman who's Indian. Uh, and she moved down here to Tennessee when I mm -hmm. moved down here. My mother's always kind of kept a diverse group of people, although we didn't live in a diverse area. But, you know, friendships are really important. Mm -hmm. And friendships with women are really important. And statistically, are, we are going to outlive our men. And we are going to rely on one another. Yes. Um, and I think the more that we can look at each other truly as just, it's that telling your story yeah. and representing yourself. But there were several things that you said that I thought was interesting. Is Muffet, I'm just curious because you know I don't know. It's her real name. But is, is <laughs> she gay by chance? No. Okay. Because that's even more incredible. Because yeah. if she were gay, I would think, well, she probably knows what it's like to yeah. be. So that's really admirable. I'm glad to hear about that. Yep. The trust, um, the goodwill and the trust with white women, I think is very, very valid. And I think that's kind of even what I've learned so like I said, I reached out to some close friends immediately after George Floyd. And, and one of, I talk about Crystal mm -hmm. in, in the episode. And I didn't know that Crystal told her four children. She's amazing. Um, you know, she's raising four children. Mm -hmm. Hey, you know, most white people are good, but we don't really know. So you need to, you know. Yeah. And I think, wow, I've never had to have that conversation with my yeah. children. And she didn't tell me that. She never told me that. She never told me the things that happened to her at work. Yeah. Um, so she may have loved, she calls me her fairy godmother. So mm -hmm. she may love me, but she didn't know me enough to trust me to with, trust you with, if the I say to Jennifer, yeah, if yep. I tell her, Hey, I was in Wyoming and I re experienced all this racism and in my head going, Oh God, angry black girl, yeah. you know? Yeah. So I hope that those barriers are now down with those people who are very close to me. Yeah. And actually I had a friend, my husband and I eloped, which... <laughs> 
hurt a lot of people's way to do it really god i I gotta tell you there was more drama we i took an uber down to the bridge (laughs) over here in my wedding dress and got out and got married that's it that's the way to do it right my photographer was our witness but uh, a lot of people were very very hurt you know i have a large family I'm still paying for this, you yeah. know, 50 years old, for goodness sakes. I don't need oh, to have a, uh, it's, a wedding. Yeah. I have a friend that's been married three times. She had a wedding, all three. It, good for her. Yeah. I would, I would have, I can't deal with it. I don't have the personality yeah. type, but anyway, um, a dear friend of mine said we did have a dinner afterward. Um, it was only for 30 people. Mm-hmm. Um, three of, sorry, three of my four of my siblings were not even invited, <laughs> you know, cause it was just here. Yeah, it was just yeah. dinner. Um, and she said, you know, I looked at those pictures. I was very hurt. You didn't invite me to your wedding. You didn't have any black people at your wedding. And it never occurred to me that she might feel that way. Mm. And she didn't feel comfortable enough telling me. Yeah. And when she did tell me again, like with everybody who's yeah. kind of, I was kind of like, I eloped, <laughs> you yeah. know? but, um, I was sad that she couldn't at least, I hadn't really even thought from her perspective. She yeah. might be looking at these pictures and thinking, oh, I was good enough to be there when Jennifer was crying on my couch or when she was crying on my couch, but she didn't get an invite. And so, um, so let's talk about the invite. Mm -hmm. Is there, you know, would it be safe to say that there are times like, let's just say, you know, um, I work with a group of white women and they're having a function or, or, or one of the women are having a function and I don't get invited. Is there ever a time that maybe I'm not invited because they think that I won't be comfortable because like I said I always I'm asking the questions because I want to give a benefit of the doubt because I feel like a lot of times in in our minds we think that we didn't get invited because we were black and she doesn't have black friends and she's probably not comfortable around black people but I'm asking because maybe there is a consideration that I should invite Sharana but I don't know maybe she won't be comfortable it's not going to be a lot of black people there what if she's you know as you know would she not be comfortable is that a real thing or I think that can be a real thing. Um, I'll give you an example that happened to me uh, recently. Obviously, I don't have a problem inviting. However, mm-hmm. uh, it's a little bit opposite. But my friend Leslie mm-hmm. just started this group where we get together on Wednesdays um, with a group of black and white people mm-hmm. on Zoom. And we talk for two hours about race relations. And yeah. it's really intense. And, and the only rules are that you have to be respectful and raw and no lies, no BS. Yeah. And when she first set it up, um, was very like the week after George Floyd and she invited me. I was very honored that she did. And she said, we need white people there. You know, she just wanted to diversify. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I told my husband and I didn't tell Leslie this, but I told my husband, I said, there's a part of me that I don't know that I should go because right now, Mm -hmm. because this is the first time getting together. I don't want to be on a forum where people feel like they can't truly express how they feel because my white face is staring back at them. Yeah. I don't want to make, and maybe I'll call Leslie and tell her this is what I'm feeling and see what she says. Mm -hmm. And I didn't do that. I happened to be away and I I missed that one. And now I, I go, we go regularly. My husband goes as well. And it was interesting because she, she was like, bring your husband. And then when he came on, you know, they said very clearly, we need white men here. Yeah. Because that is a primary, we need to hear Absolutely. from white men. Um, so so what is that like? Not to interrupt you, but mm. to hear it. Is it, is there angst with that? Because you know that a lot of it is, you know, that you're going to hear maybe anger coming from black people about just what they're feeling right now and being in, being a white person. Are you, do you feel that energy and you're like, I hate this. Like I'm going to be uncomfortable or are you like, okay, no, I'm here. I'm here to listen. I'm here to learn. I'm here to grow. I don't feel uncomfortable at all, but I I certainly could understand if I didn't have my own background, um, how I would feel. Um, again, like for example, I have, I have, I have friends, even if I didn't reach out to black people or people of color. Mm -hmm. I have friends who are white women who have black children. Yeah. So through them, I've experienced what they go through. Yeah. Um, when I was, uh, hired at a company here in Nashville, Tennessee, I was in, I was a director. I, I interviewed and hired Mm -hmm. what I didn't realize at the time I interviewed and picked the best candidate who happened to be an African-American male for a position. Um, and he was the first person hired at that level. I didn't realize that I'd done that. He just yeah. was the right guy. A woman who worked uh, with me uh, 
came and she's from North Carolina and she is lily white and mm-hmm. very Southern and blonde hair and blue eyed. And she came and she said, thank you so much. And she said, I have a black son. I didn't know that. Yeah. But, um, so yes, I think that there is that feeling. I can't speak for anybody else on that call who's mm-hmm. there. Um, but I will say that everybody is, is adhering to, and I really appreciate that being raw and being real, the first things that came out of that conversation that I was struck by was that every person of color on the call was saying, you know, what can we do? We can educate, we can this, we can that. And I said, you know, you guys must be, you're just all amazing human beings. And I must be, I don't know if I can swear on this. Absolutely. Okay. I said, I must be the only asshole in the bunch Yeah. because it is not your fucking job to educate me. All the education I need is out there. Yeah. Um, and we are taking it upon ourselves. And um, I, I mean, part of one of the jobs that I had is I worked in the prison system in healthcare, and so very clear about racism in the prison. Yep. Um, but there are resources; it's there, it's available. The other uh, option that you talked about or thing was about promoting other women. I do think uh, we absolutely have to promote one another. I, I think we have to make it a priority. Again, it's all about integrity. And if this is the right person, it's the right person. And sometimes when you're the person saying, you know, Sharana is the right person for this position. Yeah. And I want you to look me in my eyes and tell me any good reason why you're not going to hire her. Yeah. And it becomes unacceptable for that other human to say, oh, well, I can't think of anything other than her color. Yeah. Um, So I do think that's very important. And it, as far as the events go, that's what I was saying. I really feel like it's not reciprocated enough. So I have one other. When I turned 50, mm-hmm. what I wanted to do for my birthday, uh, so crazy. I don't even think. So a friend of mine has a band here. His mm-hmm. name is Sam McCrary, and he's married to Lisa. Lisa is white. Sam is black. And it's mm-hmm. Sam McCrary in the mix and is the best band ever. Sam McCrary. And The Mix. And The Mix. Okay. They're incredible. Keep an eye out. And it is dance, funk, jamalicious all night long. So I said for my 50th birthday, I want to go see Sam play wherever he's playing, Mm -hmm. which is not hard in this town. I rented a sparkle jumpsuit and I said, I want everybody to, you know, dress in their (laughs) best 70s groovy garb. He happened to be playing in a bar down in Bellevue. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, kind of a, I mean, kind of a no window bar, I would call it where they allow smoking. It was a Saturday night during hockey season. It was packed. We all got in our costumes and went down there. I'm just a believer of invite, invite, invite. Right. So I had invited many friends. Yes. Um, of all colors. Yes. I walked into that bar with my husband who's six, six mm-hmm. and was wearing platform shoes. Cause he's, Oh, wow. he's my girl. Right. <laughs> Cause he, he brings it. He ain't afraid. Yeah. And when I walked in, I thought we're in costume in March at this all white bar that's packed with sports fans. Yeah. Although the band is predominantly black yeah. and going to be playing. But I thought if, if I hadn't, you know, kind of, we just had this presence of having a great party. But my point is that the black friends that I invited showed up, drove from really far away. Yeah. People in Nashville don't, we don't drive anywhere because everything's so close. Right. And came, like, I might look at that bar and go, I ain't coming down there. Mm-hmm. I'm not walking in there, Jennifer. Yeah. But they knew the band, et cetera. But I think about the level of effort um, and to you know, show up. To show up. Mm-hmm. And other parties that I've had, the level of effort um, to come, to make it to something that I invited them to. And yes, I hope they have a good time, but they don't have to do, they have their own friends. Yeah. They don't have to come. So I I think, you know, I mean, I just think it starts with inviting and starting like anything else. Yeah. Just, just do it. Just, I don't know. So how do we make it better? How do we, how do we forge better relationships between us and our, and our races and culture and see each other and embrace each other? and know each other on a deeper level than just the surface. And I understand that, you know, all relationships won't be that way, but how do we make it better? From, from my perspective, I think it all starts with first seeing every person, hopefully every person Mm -hmm. that you see as a human first. Yeah. So you and I, 
you know, the, the men who live next door on the basic human level, we are exactly the same. Yeah. And that's where it starts. We're exactly the same. Yeah. Um, and then just honestly, I'm a naturally curious person. Mm -hmm. Um, I enjoy people from all walks of life. I think it's just about that being curious, being open, being open to learn. Um, if you're a person who stays open to learning forever, you will always be young. Yeah. I Uh, agree with that. And, and, uh, I just think, I, I think from the perspective of white women, it needs to start with, and it may may be very uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. It may be so awkward, like, okay, I'm going to have a lunch and invite three black women who I've never had more than one conversation with, but just kind of owning it and saying, yeah, that's what I'm doing. I got no idea. I maybe never have had a meal with somebody. I maybe never have had a real conversation or been to someone's house who's from a different race, but I'm going to do it. And I'll tell you what, in my experience anyway, that the, 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 the people of color are more willing to go into those awkward situations because they're, they're motivated to make it better. Right. If, if I'm a person who's never done that, my life doesn't really change very much. Yeah. But what they don't realize is how much better their life will be. Yeah. Honestly. Yeah. I agree with that. And I think coming from our side, what you just said is true from the, from the perspective of, of a black woman. Uh, we don't have a problem extending mm-hmm. the reach out. We're okay with the reach out. Um, we just want to see the effort come back. Right. You know, and that's true about friendships. I guess I started down that path a little bit. I, I've had friendships uh, with, you know, white people where <laughs> I invite you to lunch three different times and yeah. let's go get a drink and let's go to lunch and let's this and the, the, and I never get an invite back. Yeah. Then, then it ends because friendships, they take a little bit of work effort it, they do they take effort yeah. and it's to know one another and um you know I also I'm very fortunate where the majority of my female relationships if I go six months a year two years and don't hear from you you pick up the phone it's like yesterday yeah and as women in general we just I mean all of us the majority of us have been mothers if not we've been daughters mm-hmm. we understand what it's like to be a woman we have this shared experience right and you just grow your network it's just incredible yeah. and again I I can't say enough that women of color have to work so much harder mm-hmm. and so I that's why what I said about the shower that I went to um, with Lisa's sister yeah. where it was, uh, I just looked at those photos the other day. It literally came up that it was however many years ago, eight years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and every single woman there was so much more accomplished than mm-hmm. I was. And my stock just went up a million percent just by being around. Yeah. And it's benefited me. Like I said, I'm going to get to interview Lisa and uh, not Lisa, sorry, Tracy. I'll interview Lisa as well, but <laughs> her sister Tracy, who's really a powerhouse and, yeah. and good people. And I think that what we find when we spend time together, and one of my really good um, Caucasian white, I just say white, <laughs> I'm not, you know, PC. Yeah, me neither. This is my podcast. That's It'll right. just be whatever I say <laughs> it is. But um, one of my really great white friends, her name is Cindy Martin. Shout out Cindy, a.k.a. Mindy. I call her Mindy. It's an <laughs> inside joke. But um we worked at a, a university together. We were coaching together uh, at a university. And this was like back in the early 2000s. And this was before like women's basketball budgets were through the roof. And she and I used to have to sleep in the same hotel room together in different beds. Mm-hmm. And I will be honest, it was awkward for me. I hadn't done that since college as a basketball mm-hmm. player with one of my teammates. And so as an adult woman and the mother of two small kids at that time, I'm like, and I'm going to have to go share a room with her and I don't know her. She and I are still friends, major friends to this day. As a matter of fact, I reached out to her and called her before you and I met because I just wanted to talk to her about a couple of things and just about, you know, our relationship and how it was forged. Those nights at the end of our busy days, travel, those um, road trips and, and the nights that we'd be on team travel and we'd be together, we would sit and talk. Mm-hmm. And... What we realized was, and it wasn't that I didn't have white friends before, but what we realized is how much we had in common, just like so many things that we'd gone through were kind of like the same, or we could relate to each other in in, in ways about things that just were life, you Mm -hmm. know, just life things or what we thought about things or things that we had experienced. And I feel that, you know, if women would choose to put the effort 
mm-hmm. into our relationships and truly see each other. Like I said, um, we'd be amazed at how we've looked at each other so differently, but through conversation and getting to know each other, we have so much in common. Mm-hmm. If you're a, if you're a mom, you have we have so much in common already, yep. just from raising kids and trying to get that right. And if you're a mom who's had a career, add that to the mix because you know that's a whole thing in in itself of what we feel and the guilt and if you've been divorced, <laughs> you yep. know everybody had you know if you've had a successful you know, unhorrifying divorce, God bless you. That's right. You know, because if you've been through a divorce, we could probably sit here and you and I both have, Mm -hmm. we could sit here and talk about some things and we'd be like, wow, yeah, Mm -hmm. that's how, you know, and just relate. And so I encourage this. I mean, I know that there'll be some, you know, white women listening to this podcast and, you know, my friends, and I know obviously this is a podcast for women of color, but, you know, I, I pray that we just choose to reach out and reach back. Yes. And, you know, black women, let's not allow the frustrations that we feel right now hinder us from reaching out. But at the same time, you know, to all of the white sisters who may be listening, reach back. Mm -hmm. Don't be afraid to reach back. Even if it's uncomfortable, reach back. Forge these relationships because at the end of the day, you know, like you said, we're women Mm -hmm. and we need to look out for each other because you're right. I mean, we will mostly outlive our men. We will. And we'll be taking care of one another. Um, and yeah, the shared experience of just being a woman alone, yeah, uh, is enough that we could probably talk forever. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you're right. The, the struggle in career and children and divorce and then relationships and dating, Yes. uh, dating over a certain age, dating when you have adult children. I mean, yes. I could do a whole story on that too. Cause we could even do interracial dating. I did yeah. a white guy for six years. Wow. I needed therapy after that. <laughs> I bet you did. I bet you did. Well, and I've had relationships um, as well, interracial relationships, and it never, like, you know, I, you know, I'm a fairly private person. It would be a while before someone would say, oh, you never mentioned he was black. I'm like, yeah, no, I didn't, because he's just a person (laughs) who I'm having a relationship with. Right. Um, And actually, that's something about Tommy that I mentioned earlier. His wife is white, and I I say to him all the time, like, you are the original pioneer yeah number one you they've, they've been married like 20 years yeah married 20 years here in nashville tennessee pioneers interracial relationship moved to east nashville before it was cool yeah and you know so they've always been on the on the cutting edge of that and um anyway they're incredible but yeah definitely yeah, yeah. yeah. well jennifer thank you for this conversation oh thank you Well, Jennifer and I are going to chat a bit, and then we're going to come back with these three things. Okay. Hey, we're back. This is Sharana Reeves. I'm with Jennifer Grimson, and it's time for these three things. Number one, when we go high, we stay high. In the world of Karen gone wild, it's easy for us to start stereotyping all white women as Karens. And it's frustrating every time we see a video where she's calling the police as if they are her personal assistant. I think we all give a collected eye roll. But here's what happens, y'all. When we stereotype all white women as Karens, we become the exact thing we fight against. As women of color, we are constantly navigating through stereotypes placed on us, like being labeled the angry black girl at work for having a passionate opinion. But here's what we do. Allow Karen to show herself, then deal with her accordingly. But don't assume she's present in all cases, because as Michelle Obama said, when they go low, we go high. Let's stay high and far away from stereotyping others. Number two, connect. Women of color, we must seek and connect with true allies and co-conspirators from other races. Together, this is how we make a difference. This is how we create change. This is the bridge. Building better relationships is not exclusively our job, but together with our white female allies, we can begin to build a bridge that carries much needed information and education into their communities and ours. Remember, Aristotle says that friendships are built on reciprocated goodwill. Connect with those who reciprocate 
and go forward and do good. Number three, be you. It is not our job to make other people feel comfortable to the point we have to deny our culture and what makes us, us. One of my favorite people I follow on IG is Bozama St. John. Her IG name is Badass Bose. She is tall, chocolate, unapologetically black, and is the global chief officer at Netflix. Her hairstyles are as eccentric as her wardrobe. And her wardrobe is crazy. Being you is your right. Who told you you had to assimilate? Who said you can't show up and be fully you? Don't allow boxes to contain you. Being you allows you to be seen. And isn't that what we truly want? Your only job in any relationship, friendship, or environment is to be you, professionally and unapologetically. Okay, queens, that does it for this episode. So if this is your first time tuning in, I'd love for you to subscribe and hear all the other interesting topics we're going to be talking about in the next few weeks.